Welcome to Food Friday Leftovers. A podcast about all the goodies left over from Food Friday. I'm Dave Hopper. And I'm Ashley Kinsey. Tune in each week as we cover culinary topics such as food trucks, local food, pizza, veggies, beer, and wine. You hungry yet? Huh, I'm always hungry. Well, on that note, Ashley, tell us what's in the fridge this week. Today, there's corn in the fridge. We're speaking to Hallie Bay Ramdeen of The Kitchen. She's talking with us about street food. And my first question is about how to make elote or Mexican street corn. I've seen a bunch of different ways of Mm -hmm. how to make it. And I want a recipe that's easy enough that I can make it and not have to feel like I messed it up. It'll still be good. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, Well, I will plug the website. You have to check out The Kitchen because we just did a real deep dive into elote. But... Um, It is fairly simple. It's just about um, finding the right ingredients. So elote is either roasted or boiled corn that's been coated with a mixture of lime juice, mayo, Mexican crema, which is like a a little bit looser sour cream, um, and then coat it with cotija cheese, which is a crumbly, fresh tasting, salty farmstead type cheese. And then the way that we do it at the kitchen, which is kind of brilliant, one of our editors developed this, is that you mix the mayo and the crema in a long glass, and then you dunk the corn into the glass, and that's how you get the whole thing coated. Huh. Oh. And then easy you... Easy clean up. Yeah, super easy cleanup. <laughs> and then you just top it with the, uh, the cotija cheese. I would say roast it rather than boil it if you can. You're going to get that like deep, sweet, you know, crispy taste on the, the corn. Um, And if you don't want to do um, elote on the cob, you can make esquites, which is basically the same flavor profile with corn kernels. So would you, if you were grilling the corn, would you grill the corn first and then dunk it in the spices? Oh, yeah, absolutely. This is what happens after it's cooked. Okay, cool. My question is about seasoning tacos. I like. To, I have a recipe that I use to make taco season at home because yeah. I don't like the 800, 900 milligrams of sodium totally, that come yeah. in the one, store-bought one. But I'm wondering if you have a way that you do it. Do I season my tacos? Yeah. Um, I'm like you. I don't like the the package um, because of all the salt and whatever else that's yeah. in there. Um, so my go-to is cumin, chili, and I kind of... Um, I have a ton of chili in my pantry, so I kind of just combine one or two. I've been using uh, this Peruvian chili called Aji uh, Amarillo, and it's um, like a very spicy yellow chili, but mixing that with like a traditional chili. Um, and then salt, pepper, smoked paprika. If I didn't say cumin, cumin <laughs> yeah, is cumin important. Is <laughs> um, and then after that, just making sure that I'm adding salt and cilantro, fresh cilantro after. Mm, to I me, that's, added cilantro. that's how I feel like I'm eating like a really fresh yeah. I'm not sure about the smoked paprika. Yeah. I dig paprika. Mm-hmm. I know I tried smoked. I don't. Maybe it was just a combination with the other flavors. Yeah, I, I like it because it does add that kind of like smoky, earthy right. flavor um, that I want. Especially if whatever I'm I'm adding it to isn't cooked on like a grill. I kind of always yeah, miss yeah. that, so I do add that. I remember that from the last episode. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> grilling the lemons. Yeah, the, I do yeah. like that smoky flavor. So now we're going to another place of the world. Okay. Lamb shawarma. Yeah, lamb shawarma. Um, in terms of like how I would go about making that. Yeah, something easy enough for anybody that they can go to their local grocery store and grab the ingredients to make something simple well, and delicious. I think that people would have a fairly difficult time actually tracking down lamb. Um, it's not a really popular meat in the states, especially outside of Easter or Christmas. It's hard to find lamb. You can find goat though. 
especially the kind of cut that you would need to pull off a shawarma. So I would say if you can't find lamb, get the goat. And then um, it's just about kind of braising the the cubes of meat in the right uh, flavors. So cumin again is a big player here. You want to add salt and pepper. And for me, the smokiness again is critical Mm -hmm. here because they're cooking it over an open fire and that charred meat flavor is Mm -hmm. elemental and to feeling like you're really eating a shawarma. But then if you can't do that, your broiler will help you get there. Um, mm-hmm. And other than that, just get your condiments right. So find, you know, the red peppers, the cucumbers, make a tzatziki sauce or the white sauce, get a nice flatbread to fold everything up in. Okay, so the next thing is ban xiu, spring rolls, Vietnamese mm-hmm. style. I was talking to you a little bit about this. I saw something in a video where a friend of mine's Vietnamese and she shared a video of somebody who visited mm-hmm. Vietnam and had this ban xiu. And it was really interesting. It was like spring roll ingredients mm-hmm. and they cracked an egg in it mm-hmm. and it was served as like, I don't know, a little omelet. Okay. Are you familiar with things like that or can we adapt our spring roll in a different way so we could have some fun with it but have it be simple enough to still be tasty? Was the egg used as the wrapper? Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, you can do this. We have a recipe on the kitchen where we do this. So basically you're making an egg crepe. And it makes oh. perfect sense that um, Vietnamese cuisine would have this because it's one of the few Asian cuisines that has a direct uh, relationship with European cuisines. Um, oh. you, that's why you see in the bummy a baguette because they are, oh, it's okay. a tradition that's been carried along with their rather contentious relationship with the French. But um, you can see traces of that in and the food, but the egg crepe is just a very thin, like, omelet. Very thin that you can fold ingredients into. So it makes sense that they would have that. So am I making a crepe and adding more egg? No, you're you're basically making an omelet. So you're, oh, okay. you're breaking an egg, whisking it, thinning it out with a little bit of milk, and then cooking a very, very thin omelet in a skillet, and then sliding it out and then using it as a wrapper. Oh, great. That sounds good. I like anything with eggs in it. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a nice option for people that are gluten-free or mm-hmm. like following like a grain-free diet because it's a way to have a wrap without... Right. You it's know. Whole30 approved. It sure is. <laughs> Paleo, all those things. Yeah. yeah. To bring it back home for a second, I just thought just hit me. A New York City pretzel, mm-hmm. a street pretzel. Okay. How do you get... As close to that as you can. You can actually do that. Yeah. So you need alkaline water. So it's water that's more basic than acidic to actually get the degree of browning. And that's really just about making a water solution that has baking soda in it. I don't know the right ratio off the top of my head. But even if you were using like purchased pizza dough, if you make this alkaline water bath and dip the dough into that after and then bake it, you will get that kind of browning. So... Wait, back up. <laughs> Take the pizza dough. Pretty much, yeah. Form it in the pretzel the shape. little pretzel shape. Dip and it. then dip it in baking soda water? Yes. That's what makes it like that? Yes, yeah. It, oh, I didn't know. Now we got to figure out where they get their so good. pretzel dough. Yeah, it's, it, you increase <laughs> yeah. the browning reaction in the oven. It's the Maillard right, reaction. So the sugars are browning and the, the baking soda amps that up big time. Is that how they do bagels too? Yeah, <laughs> bagels oh are boiled. Yeah, goodness. well, they're they're boiling them and then baking them. Yeah, but that's how you get that like hard crust. You look floored. My mind is blown. <laughs> yeah, we need to drop one of Clue's bombs. <laughs> 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 All right, where are we going on our next trip? The next trip is matzo candy 
with caramel. Yeah. Uh, Have you heard of that? Yeah, but not quite street food, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's huge during Passover when, you know, everybody's doing the whole unleavened bread thing. And it's a fun treat. So it's basically you take matzah, you coat it with caramel, sometimes melted chocolate, and then you stick it into the freezer or the fridge and let it firm up and break it and you have pretty good candy. People do the same thing with saltines. Okay, next one is a personal favorite, mango lassi. I love mango lassi. I have made mango lassi with fresh mango and with canned mango. And if mangoes aren't in season, go with a canned mango. Um, because then you have to add an extraordinary amount of sugar to get it to the taste that you're expecting. So not frozen? Or frozen. Oh, but okay. I really do prefer the the canned mango that I... I think the best place to buy canned mango is at most halal grocery stores. Oh, okay. um, Because they're importing the mangoes from the countries that are traditionally associated with lassi. One thing that I always add to my lassi that surprises people is salt. Just a tiny oh. bit. Just a tiny bit. Because it amps up all the other flavors around it. Not so it's salty, although salty lassi is a thing, but you do want just a pinch. I did not know salty lassi was a thing. Mm-hmm. I have a question about, I think it's turkey, mm-hmm. Turkish coffee. Yeah. Where they have just looks like a big pile of coffee beans and they have a very hot like container that they just put on top and somehow it fills up with coffee. Have you seen that? From what I understand about Turkish coffee, it's, it's like a, a very fine ground bean that you're cooking in water, usually in this, it's a very specific kind of pot that has a wider bottom and it, it's more narrow up to the top with a long arm and that you're boiling it in there and it's kind of like cooking the coffee. Two ground, weeks in a row. Coffee grounds <laughs> <laughs> with the water so it's it almost becomes thick. Yeah. And so that's why you're really only drinking a bit of it. And then you get the grounds at the end and hopefully somebody's there reading your fortune <laughs> after. <laughs> Someone's reading Ashley's fortune on the phone right now. Yeah. I've had my, I was in Turkey or Istanbul a few years ago drinking a lot of Turkish coffee, but I had someone read my grounds and it was like scary, scary accurate what happened in the weeks oh, to really? follow. Yeah. And I'm definitely not a person that traditionally embraces any of those things. And I was just like, is happening (laughs) what was in that coffee (laughs) few other favorites of mine maduros Mm -hmm. and tostones yeah love them both yeah i don't know which one i love more really (laughs) (laughs) so both are made from plantains the maduros are with really extremely ripe plantains that you are frying um and that just enhances the sugar that's already in them and they're sticky and they're sweet and they're amazing and I could probably live off of them. Mm-hmm. Um, my family is West Indian so I grew up eating them with breakfast with ackee and saltfish most oh, of I the love time. It. And then tostones you are more likely to find in Spanish-speaking Caribbean countries. That is they're not as ripe and they are fried. It's still fried but the real distinguishing point is that the, the plantain is not ripe. Yeah, and they squish them a little bit. Yeah, and they're flattened. There's something about the flavor when they're flat. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's different. Yeah. But it's so good. And salt them when they come off the, when they come out the uh, the oil. Hit them with some salt. So now you can go get those plantains when they're on sale and make some maduros if they're really ripe. Or if you can't wait, make some tostones. Right. Real easy. I personally really love maduros, and and we just call them plantains in my family, but... Mm -hmm. I never wait long enough for them to be ripened up, and that is the worst when you you're making. When you're a, expecting it yes. sweet and it's not, yeah. yeah. And I've made them in the oven before, but honestly, don't do it. Just, just fry, <laughs> fry them. them. Just fry them. Fry them in a little bit of coconut oil. It's That's my what I do. Coconut yeah. oil. 
Now, this one is going to be tough, I think. Okay. Jerk chicken or jerk pork. Now, usually we have these big barrels. They mm-hmm. look like a sideways yeah. black barrel. Yeah. They season the yes. jerk. They All day it's cooking, it's cooking, it's cooking. I have been working on a jerk chicken recipe, so this is a good time for me to talk about this. And I've learned a few things. One, traditionally the flavor of jerk chicken is from the allspice mm-hmm. branches that the chicken is cooked over. So it's a mixture of these allspice branches and also charcoal. So those are two very specific forms of flavor that really can only be imparted by this method of cooking. Most people here don't have access to the allspice branches. So you really do want to make sure that the paste, the marinade that you're using for your jerk includes that. And there is a very popular brand of pre-made jerk marinade. I don't know what the um, the actual label is, but it's solid. Like it has everything you need. Um, and one of those things is scotch bonnet peppers. And oftentimes people switch in habanero peppers because you can't really find scotch bonnet peppers here unless there's like a very large uh, Jamaican population to support that. But scotch bonnet peppers do not taste the same as habanero peppers. And I try not to use the two interchangeably. But other than that, brine your chicken because you will be cooking it for a long time over the heat, so you do want to brine it. Use bone-in chicken. Um, When you have the bone in your meat, it stays moist over the heat really well. Mm -hmm. And don't forget to really, like, pay attention to flavoring it throughout the cooking process. So brining it is one step. Marinating it and the uh, jerk seasoning before it goes on the grill is another. And then right before you're kind of coming off the heat, maybe when the chicken has like another 15 minutes, you want to slather it all over again to really build up that crust of flavor. That seems easy enough, right? (laughs) Yeah, something like that. All right. Well, Hallie, thanks so much for joining us again. Thanks. Thanks a lot. That was Haley Bay Ramdeen, food editor at thekitchen.com. That's a kitchen without the E. This has been Food Friday Leftovers. I'm Ashley Kinsey. And I'm Dave Hopper. Be sure to check out Vox Pop Food Friday every Friday at 2 p.m. on WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our producer is Jessica Blaustein Marshall. Our theme is Beach Disco by Dougie Wood. Food Friday Leftovers is a production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. And tune in next week to see what else we find in the fridge. 